There's a lost soul who's tired of the sinning. You are listening to the Daily Doctrine Devotional. This is a daily podcast designed to teach and preach Bible doctrine each weekday throughout the year. This is Evangelist Tim McVeigh asking you to please let others know about this podcast so that they can subscribe or tune in each weekday. At the end of the podcast, we will provide you with subscription information as well as contact information for our ministry. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. And the saints all with gladness are singing the glorious song of the redeemed, song of the redeemed. Thank you once again for tuning into a new week on the podcast. We certainly appreciate all of you that are listening, all of you that have prayed for us. We're a bit under the weather, just had some uh, troubles last week with the family and was unable to record, so we certainly appreciate the Sunday school lesson that Pastor Black had taught. I was sitting there when he taught that. I actually got a copy of that for me to listen to again to learn some things, and I certainly appreciate him letting me use that on the podcast. What a blessing that was to me to listen again as he instructed us in the Word of God concerning the reins, concerning that inward parts, those things that God inwardly does. And what a blessing it is to see and to know the work of God. We've had reports of a couple again that say they've been born of God. A couple have reached out and just said that God has saved them, and we rejoice in that, uh, given Scripture concerning the things that God has done. And again, as we've said many times in this podcast, others have said preaching on this podcast, God requires a biblical salvation. It's not some kind of legalistic issue. It's not, a, it's not a gray area. It is black and white. You must be born of God. You must have the new birth. You must have that renewal of the inward man. And that has to take place for you to be saved by the good grace of God. It's not hard to do that. You just have to believe the word of God. The problem is, is folks have their minds muddied up with all the affairs of this life, all the teaching of religion, all the practice of religion, and they cannot see the things of God because of the muddledness that religion has put in their minds. And they have to work through all that. The world also presses in and fills our minds with all kinds of notions and thoughts. And when you get through all of that, you find Jesus Christ, and he can work and he can do miracles. The reason folks are lost is they do not believe the word of God. They do not believe, thus saith the Lord. I've heard a lot of reasons why folks can't believe the Word of God. Every one of them is carnal. Every one of them is associated with their own thinking, their own reasoning. I've had folks tell me why they can't be saved. The reality is if you're not saved, it's because you don't want to believe God. You're on outs with God. You're out of sorts with God. You cannot serve two masters lest you love the one and hate the other. And he said, if you love me, obey my commandments. We're back in Hebrews chapter 6 again where we left off on Wednesday on the podcast, the last podcast that we recorded. And he goes on, he speaks of several things to close out this chapter concerning the word of God, that hope that is within us. And we talked about the briars and the thorns. And I'm going to start there in verse 8. He said, It's rejected as nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. There are things that accompany salvation. We talk about those good works. It's not works of righteousness, which we have done. It's not those uh, those works of destruction, those works of man-made ideals and philosophies. No, it's a work of God. And there are so many people that look at their pragmatic works and they attribute that to godliness. 
They do things for the betterment of people, character building, uh, you know, group therapies, you know, these ideas that, you know, we get young people, especially, boy, we're going to teach them as a group and we're going to instruct them. And yet those same young people would perish without Christ because they might have excellence of character, but if they don't know Jesus Christ. They'll perish. And I watch all the pragmatic views of what religion does and the pragmatic views of if we build it, they will come mindset rather than the word of God. And he said, there's things that accompany salvation. It's not just excellence of character, although that's what most people look for. It's more than that. It's the work of God inwardly, that inward man that speaks, that inward man that bears witness with God, that inward man that God can work in and work with. It's in every child of God. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And so the ministry is about his name, glorifying his name, obedient to the scriptures. What is pure religion? A pragmatic view of helping people? No, it's to visit the fatherless and the widowed in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. That is pure religion. And yet most folks, they practice an idealistic religion that could fit in any major religion in the world. The idea that we're going to help people with their food and with their lodging and with their character, and we're going to have events for them, and we're going to have all these things that we do with them because we are somehow going to fix everything wrong in their life with a pragmatic view. And I know I keep using that word, but to be pragmatic is just a reasoning of your intellect that you think you can change things by making things better in people's circumstances. That's what pragmatism is. And it doesn't work with God. God doesn't work that way. Yet, people need to have better circumstances. Yet, they need to have better lives. Yet, they need to clean. But it's not salvation. It's not attributed to salvation. And therefore, God's name is above every name. His name is the highest of all names. He is extolled to that seat, and therefore when we minister, we do that because of who he is, and we do it for his glory, and we do it for his honor. It's amazing, this folks, years ago when I was in the bus ministry, they'd come in, they'd see the children, they'd have this idea, again, I keep using the word pragmatism, but I think it's the best word to use, and they'd think, oh, this is a wonderful ministry. Let's get involved, we'll help the children. And usually their first couple of weeks, they'd show up with baskets of snacks and, and they'd show up with coloring books and they'd show up with all of these things for the children to take home and they'd have some little NIV, you know, printouts that the children could fill in the blanks and they have little, you know, so-called gospel uh, crossword puzzles. If you carried a King James Bible, you couldn't fill it out properly. Uh, and they'd have all this idealism of, of what they're going to do with religion and they're going to bring that and they're going to help salvage these children. And again, it's just... Not God's way. That's not what God has used. And what they didn't understand is what the bus ministry really was, was getting involved in these people's lives and visiting them in their affliction and going to their homes and every week stopping by and visiting the fathers and visiting the mothers and visiting the young children and dealing with them and dealing with their souls and preaching on the bus on the way to church. And then I would preach on the bus on the way home from church in a hopes that God would intervene. And there are a couple of those young people still in the house of God today. And I thank God, I rejoice in that, that they are still in the house of God. We had several senior saints that came out of the ghettos, they came out of the, the dungeons, they came out of the alleys in Hagerstown, and they claimed they got saved by the grace of God. 
There's two of them that absolutely showed evidence of a changed life. Uh, the one lady was 75 years old. She was an outcast of society, despised by society. The DSS workers hated her. The emergency room workers hated her. A lot of folks at church despised her coming. She didn't smell the best, didn't look the best, wasn't it? But you know what she did? She learned to testify of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. She spoke with stammering lips that you could hardly form words. And yet she would tell you that God had saved her in the night season in her home. And to the day she died at 78 years old, she would keep that testimony that God had saved her. Why? Because it wasn't about giving meals and it wasn't about putting socks on their feet and giving them candy and making their life a little bit better. No, it was introducing them this idea that there's things that accompany salvation. And the ministry is about showing people the name of Jesus Christ and those things that accompany salvation. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. That you be not slothful, but followers them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And so again, he's writing to the Hebrews here. I understand that. We're going to follow them who've inherited the promises. Can I say this? Through Abraham. I've been grafted in. I am on a good branch. I have the word of God in my heart and I have the promise of God. I have been a receiver of the inheritance of the promise of God. Why? Because I'm a saint, been born of God, been renewed in the Holy Ghost, been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself. There's no greater name that he swear by. And then he said, surely by blessing, I will bless thee and multiply and I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. What is that promise? Abraham was looking for a city. Word of God tells us that whose builder and maker was God. He wasn't looking for the things of this world. Yes, he was a rich man. Yes, he was a great man. Yes, he had uh, great flocks and great generations, the sand of the seashore when his generations, he had the blessings of God. And by the way, you and I can have the same today. If we're willing to be and what God wants us to be and willing to do what God wants us to do, we have those blessings in Abraham. Word of God tells us that because of the person of Jesus Christ, we have the inheritance. We have the promise. It's not that we're going to be wealthy in this world, but we're going to be rich in the world to come. It's not that we're going to be inheritors from our families. No, we're inheritors of the things of God. We have an inheritance. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. So he tells you this is immutable. It's a counsel of God. It's instruction of God. These things cannot be taken away. These things cannot be changed. Why? He swear by his own name, that name which is above every name, that name that he put as the highest of all names, Jehovah God, and he swear by that name to Abraham that he would make him an heir of that promise, and then he confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, it says, we. Thank God for that. You say, well, he's just writing to the Hebrews. It's a dispensational book. Well, you know, most of the times in the New Testament, it says we, I'm pretty sure if I go back and read the word of God, I can get in on that. You may be dispensational enough to excuse that, but he says we, he's writing this to the saints of God. He's writing it, and just to let you know, to the New Testament saints. 
And I'm not going to be so dispensational as to dismiss that when he says we, because in these last days, he has spoken unto us. That's kind of the plurality of we. He has spoken unto us by his son. That's what the word of God told us in Hebrews 1 and verse 2. Therefore, when he says we, and he says it's impossible to God to lie because we've laid refuge. We've laid refuge of the strong consolation. We fled for refuge. Why? Because we were damned in sin. We were being judged as sinners. We were condemned already. And I fled for a refuge for the consolation of my soul to the person of Jesus Christ. Because God has not lied. God will not lie. And we might have a strong consolation. How strong is that? The work of righteousness shall be peace, Isaiah 32, 17. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. That's a pretty strong consolation. John said it on this wise in the book of 1 John, that little epistle in the back of your Bible. And he said that we may know that we have eternal life. We know that we have passed from death unto life. Then he said in verse chapter 5 and verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. You say, well, what kind of consolation is that? Well, it's just eternal life through Jesus Christ. I mean, to me, that's pretty good consolation. And then he goes on in that same passage. He says, not only do we have that consolation, then we have the confidence. This is the confidence that we have in him. So he's given us that strong consolation, that understanding that we're in Christ. Then he gives us the confidence to know that we're in Christ. Why? Because of a promise made to a man named Abraham. God would not lie. God could not lie. He swear by no greater than himself. These two immutable things that God has done. That's a promise of God. Which hope we have, there it is again. I got in on we on this one. You may not like that, but I was a refuge. There was a storm on the sea, and I anchored in a refuge, a place of safety, a place of shelter, a calm haven. That's where I, when you're a Clyde and came, I pulled in that little bay and dropped anchor. That refuge is in the person of Jesus Christ. That's a pretty good consolation. That's a pretty great comfort. As the storm blows and the winds howl and the waves pound and the rain comes down, I'm anchored in a strong bay. I'm anchored in a safety, a place of refuge. I've anchored in a shelter, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the old songwriters wrote so many hymns about the anchor, about the shelter, about the hope, about the storm. Why? Because when you are in that storm, and you're in the turmoil of the wind and the turmoil of the rain, and you're looking for a safe anchorage, and God opens up and reveals to the Word of God their safety in the person of Jesus Christ, and you have that consolation because of the promise that was made. It's the will of God that all men be saved. And therefore, you come to that place, and you drop that anchor in the person of Jesus Christ, and it's an anchor of the soul, He said this, both steadfast and sure. That's not a song, that's the Bible. Although it's a wonderful song. But that anchor is steadfast. It's not going to move. It is sure. It's as strong as it can be. It's never going to change. Why? Because of a promise made to Abraham. And because that promise was made to him, God showed him the rest that was available to him. God showed him the rest. And then in Jesus Christ, in the person of Jesus Christ, he offered us that rest. That's why I got in on we. We have that sure, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, 
whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I read it like this. There's two immutable things. One, God cannot lie. The other is that Jesus Christ was going to enter in that veil. He was going behind the veil. That could not change. That could not be changed. It was an absolute. It was going to take place. That veil was read in twain from the top to the bottom. It was God's plan all along. It was God's will all along. And Jesus Christ was going to enter in. And the word of God said he was made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Lord willing, we'll be back on here tomorrow in chapter 7 and talk much about Melchizedek. There's a lost soul who's tired of the sinning, and he longs to return to the Lord. As he cries for forgiveness and mercy, God is waiting. You have been listening to the Daily Doctrine Podcast with Evangelist Tim McVeigh. For correspondence, please contact us through our website and someevangelist.com and use the contact form to connect with us. You may also subscribe to the podcast through our website or search for Daily Doctrine Evangelist Tim McVeigh on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, or Amazon. To write to us, please use our church address, which is Manasseh Community Baptist Church, 70 Back Hollow Road, Blaine, Pennsylvania, 17006. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. Don't forget to subscribe and tune in tomorrow. And remember to look up for your redemption calleth nigh. Now the angels of God are rejoicing For the prodigal child has come home And the saints all with gladness are singing The glorious song of the redeemed